in the last episode, in the last week on Fox in the City, I was talking about my neighbor, Margot Thunder. And <laughs> as I was listening back to the episode, I felt like what was missing was actual thunder whenever I say Margot Thunder. If you didn't listen to the last episode of Fox in the City, what the fuck is wrong with you? I explained to you that Margot Thunder lives in my building and she anchors the Sister Act soundtrack. Talented musician. She's the only person in my building that I will talk to. I don't know if I think I am Dolores Van Cartier and I, ca I have to keep my head low so people don't recognize me. It's not easy for me to keep my head low because I have turned my life into a spectacle. I've been on a reality show. I was in Poetry Slam. I had a, a Las Vegas lounge gig. Yeah! Oh! The devil in mirrors, this the way love's supposed to be. It's like a heat wave burning in my heart. Can't keep from crying, staring me apart. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a whole heat wave. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a whole ain't nothing but the scale. Don't mess up his chance. It stands for true romance. Heat wave. I like all the ambient casino sounds. It's taking me there. It's like a podcast theater of the mind. Nothing you can say can tear me away from my guy. My guy. Nothing you can do cause I'm stuck like glue to my guy. My guy. My guy. I'm sticking to my guy like stem to a letter like birds of a feather we together I'm telling you from the start I can't be torn apart from my guy whoa, 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 whoa. no muscle bound man could take my hand from my guy that's not true I like the muscles no handsome face oh my god my god my god my body may not be a movie star but when it comes to being happy we are What you say? Me away from my guy. Tell me more. That could take me away from. Hit it! Yeah, we're having Tina Turner moments. I will follow him. Follow him wherever he may go. There's an ocean too deep. A mountain so high he can keep. Keep me away. I will follow him. Ever since he touched my hand, I knew. And near him, I always must be. Nothing can keep me away. He is my destiny. I love him. I love him. I love him. And when he goes, I'll follow. I'll follow. I'll follow. He'll always be mine. 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 From now until fall. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah.
That's how I feel about my podcast sometimes. <laughs> We're like, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. But you don't give a shit. Back in the heyday of podcasting, I had thousands of listeners every episode. And now if I go over 200, I'm like, oh my god. Oh my god. Reagan Fox. Reagan Fox. Fox in the city. Fox in the city. At me in the A. Oh. And give me a BJ. Where did I come up with those orgasm sounds? I was in my late 20s when I recorded that theme song. Cannot believe I'm about to turn 45, but time flies. It's a blink of an eye, ladies and gentlemen. One day you are 28 years old and recording the intro song to Fox in the City. You blink, you have a few martinis, you wake up, and you're 11 days away from 45. My point is that by that age, I knew that I never orgasmed and was like, oh. No, there's much more shame integrated into the subtext of my orgasm. It's like, it's not, oh my God, I'm going to, oh my God, I'm going to come. It's it, and joy. It's not, it's not a wistful moment for me. It's more like, oh God, oh, oh God, oh God. Oh, I'm coming. Oh my God, I'm coming. Unless I'm being railed good. Where, you know when you, if you're a bottom, if you're getting railed so hard, you lose all sense of time and place. There's no self-hating voice inside of you that's acting as the puppeteer. There was a short guy, the shortest guy I've ever slept with in Austin when I was in my early 20s. And he would do me so hard. He would drag me to the end of the bed and do me so hard that I would lose all sense of time and place. It was like I was, it, it was like, uh, you know, in Stranger Things, how there's a tear and the multiverse and then the, the, the Gorgon or whatever it is comes out, that monster, and then you're in the upside down. That was what it was like to me. But then um, we had to end our affair because despite the fact that the sex was so, so the best sex I've ever had. The best sex I've ever had. But one time, this is a true story. I can't believe I'm sharing it. But I went to go spend Thanksgiving with my grandmother in Madisonville, Texas. And I ate dinner. I took a plate to go. I drove back to Austin and I was eating the just leftover turkey and and biscuits and 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 string bean casserole and all of that shit and then I got to Austin and I pulled over and I got some beer and I went straight to this guy's house he started doing me and probably five minutes in he was like oh I smell your dinner I was mortified I shitty kitty poo poo all over the place because this is just an implication of how they don't teach sex education to gay kids. It's all tailored to heterosexual sex. And so when you're in your 20s, you don't know you don't know how to do it, especially back then when the internet wasn't as big of a thing as it is now where you couldn't type in how uh, proper ways to douche if you're a bottom. 
Nobody even wanted to admit to being a bottom back then. These, this was long before the days of prep. There was too much AIDS stigma associated with being a bottom. So you, you met people and everybody was a top. It was kind of like my fantasy, but the, that that's what they were claiming. It was always like top or top verse. Like bottoms were top verse, right? But everybody, as we all know now... In 2021, everybody's a bottom. You're lucky. Finding a top, even in West Hollywood, maybe especially in West Hollywood, it is like finding a needle in a haystack. A top is like a bald eagle. It's an endangered species. A top is like a, 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 a leatherback sea turtle or a black-footed ferret. If you find one, treat it with care. There are only a few left on the planet. When you're in your 20s, you can get away with pooping on a guy and they're still, they're like, no, just go into the shower and clean off. You know, I can take, I'll replace the sheets. And when you were in your 40s, not that I would know because I haven't had sex since I got into my 40s, but when you're in your 40s, you know, you, it, it's so sad. I mean, the irony, you know, the proper way to clean out. If I go on a date, I know exactly what to do. So I'm clean as a whistle. No poopy here. Not at all. No, I'm clean, clean, clean. I haven't eaten in two weeks in anticipation of this night. And I, I used a plunger. I took one of those, those snake things where you snake the hair out of your bathtub drain. I stuck that up me. I am ready to go. But I have no gentleman callers. None. I have friends. I have straight male friends. And this brings me to the first chapter of episode 42. Friends. Straight friends. Straight male friends. SMF. Cause you got friends. The feelings are so strong. You got to have friends to make the day last long. Standing at the end of the road, boys. Waiting for my straight friends to come. I don't care if they're hungry or poor. I gotta get me some of them. Oh, speaking of Bette Midler, because she does a great cover of that song on the Divine Miss M album. But she, do you know that the role of Dolores Van Cartier was originally written for Bette Midler? For Sister Act? She would have been great in that. But I mean, I'm glad that it went to Whoopi Goldberg because I feel like Whoopi Goldberg was born to play that role. One of the classes that I teach the most is gender and communication. And one of the topics we discuss in that class is how you get different needs satisfied, your relationships with female friends versus your relationships with male friends. Or I, I should, it's probably more accurate to say masculine friendships versus feminine friendships. But sexuality plays a role in all of that, too, because my relationships with my straight male friends is very different than my relationships with my gay male friends. And my relationships with lesbian friends is very different than my relationship with... You get what I'm saying, right? I don't have to go through all of the different color combinations. This, is a, this isn't the home shopping club. I don't want to be like, you can get this top... You can get it, it we, ha we have it in all the different color combinations. You can get um, ballet slipper piping with a liver as the main color, or you can get it in a blush and bashful. Another, you could get it in, in ballet slipper and bashful, or liver and, ba and, and, and ballet slipper. The combinations are endless, y'all. 
Call with your testimonials and your 2D number, and we'll get you right on the line. Right on the line. Living in West Hollywood when you're a gay man, you pretty much have the option to tailor your friendship combinations to whatever most works for you. And for such a long time, I hung out exclusively with gay men. And when I went to do Big Brother in 2010, where I was the only gay guy, I remember coming out of that experience and thinking, oh, wow, I forgot what it was like to have straight male friends. Actually, going into that experience, I had my straight male friend, Corey, but he was my only one. And we're, we're still very close friends to this day. So much of my friendship group was dictated by who can I go out with on the weekend. And that was always going to be gay guys. And as a gay guy, I can say, frankly, we can be exhausting. We can be exhausting. Since the pandemic, I have noticed a shift in my friendship groups where because I'm not going out all of the time, and I've, on, I've only gone to a gay bar twice in over a year, and only recently have I done so, I, I've made a lot of friends through gaming and through online communities, and a number of these people are straight male friends, so I, I've been twitching a lot which that is not, a, it's not like tweaking and doing crystal math. That's not my game. Not here. It's playing video games and broadcasting the video game play. Like, I'm, I'm like a cam girl, but instead of showing you my breast, I'm showing you my moves on Dead by Daylight and Hearthstone. Yeah, you like that? I'm a cam girl. Give me your tokens. Give me your love tokens. Do you want to see more? Tip me. Just make sure that you tip me. On my OnlyFans, I'm a cam girl. For instance, this one guy that I've been talking to a lot, his name is Will, and he lives in North Carolina. And he's delightful. I, I so value our, our friendship that we have been growing over the past several months. We play Dead by Daylight together, and the way I communicate with him, it's just different than the type of stuff that I share with a, another gay person. I oddly feel more of a sense of kinship with my, with my straight male friends than with my gay friends. Although I, It's just speaking different languages, and I guess the kinship is different, right? Because with my gay friends, I can... Uh, there's... Um, like, for instance, here's a, here's a perfect example of it. So sometimes when I'm going into a TMI story, like pooping on a guy's penis on Thanksgiving, I'll sometimes think of the worst possible audience to hear the story as I'm telling the story. It's that little voice of self-hatred in me that we all have, right? We're always constantly policing our own actions, and that's exhausting, right? So I think, oh my gosh, what if a student listens to this? Or Will, I know Will listens to my podcast, and God, you know, like, I don't want to have to talk about pooping on somebody with Will. Like, I just don't want him to hear that. I'm sure he doesn't care. But I would never be afraid of one of my gay male friends hearing that story. Because they would get it. They would understand that that's just the collateral damage of gay sex. And they would also understand implicitly what it's like to be a young gay person who doesn't have any sex education that addresses the dynamics of gay sex. And you're, you're left to fend for yourself. You're like Tarzan. And the, did I say Tarzan? Tarzan. And, and your, your jungle is the anal sex jungle. And you're just learning, you're just learning the basics, right? By yourself. You're out there by yourself. With just apes 
jumping onto you. <laughs> they have their way with you and then they throw you away. Here's what it is. Here's why I feel a, a sense of kinship with my straight male friends. It's because my brothers are straight. Ah, that's what it is. And so maybe the way that I talk with my straight male friends is more like the way that I talk with my actual brothers. My friendship with Will also reminds me of being friends with the straight kids in my neighborhood. And they, they would come over and spend the night and we would just do stupid things. Like we created a Nintendo magazine, me and Josh Godet. We did that once. We totally hand drew it out with like maps of the Legend of Zelda world. It was loaded. Three pages of tips and tricks and button combinations that you could press. I don't know who we thought we were going to sell it to. There was one time where Josh Godet and Craig Willis spent the night at my place. Um, we were probably in fifth grade and we decided we were going to smoke coffee. So we took coffee and we rolled it up in, I think, just like loose leaf paper, like thick loose leaf paper. Oh, I think Craig said something like he heard that prisoners rub toothpaste on coffee and then they smoke it and it gets them high. So we tried to do that. And um, that wasn't very successful. There was something innocent about those relationships and it's just it reminds me of my my friendships with straight or, or I should say rather my friendships with straight men now at middle age reminds me of those periods when I was growing up it just it, they're just kind of goofy they we straight men I don't think take themselves as seriously as gay people there's just less drama in the relationship. And I appreciate that no frills aspect. So for instance, Will and I were playing video games. You're playing Super Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. And I was telling him about I this. There's this fetish that I learned about online. And it's, it's I guess, straight men who like watching women drowned in quicksand oh yeah it's a thing it's a whole thing and the thing is is you don't even have to go to porno hub in order to find it it is on youtube because that is how normalized heterosexual sex is compared to gay sex so you it typically you'll have a scene and it's two women or one woman i'll tell you about this one scene that we watch where it's like it was uh, somebody who it was like an espionage type thing it had a whole plot where one woman was chasing another woman who stole a floppy disk and she falls into the quicksand and she's like, oh, I can't feel the bottom. Help me. Oh my gosh, I'm stuck and getting stuck down. And like, so it, it's, they're probably like 20 minute videos and the, the woman is slowly being sucked into the quicksand or like another variation of it. The woman will be alone and she's just, she just happens to be walking through this tropical climate and she, she's like, oh, what is this? It looks muddy. I can either walk around the mud or I could just go through it. I, you know what? I don't have the time to walk around the mud. I'm going to walk through it. And so she steps and it, you hear the, you know, as her foot is going into the quicksand. She's like, oh my God, it's like 
really hard for me to oh my gosh i can't hold on let me take off my top and it because it's youtube you don't see your yum yums you know you she, she you just see her take off her top and she's getting sucked up and then the money shot of these scenes is when the woman's head becomes fully submerged so she is completely underwater which by the way this is all like a metaphor for how women are treated right especially in the entertainment industry you just use them up until they disappear and then the money shot is when they're fully submerged and all you see is the quicksand and then you see the bubble of her last breaths Well, I didn't get up to my neck. Oh, close though. I'm so stuck. Somebody help me, I'm hopeless. I'm stuck in the mud, I can't get out. The more I move, the more stuck I get. Oh, no, no, no. This isn't cool. Oh, yeah, drown. Oh, the bubbles, here I come. Oh gosh, the bubbles, the death bubbles. It's the only way I can get off. It's the only way I can get off. So Will and I, <laughs> I had my stream set up to where you could see my face because my face is the money maker, ladies and gentlemen. You could see our gameplay, but then in the upper left corner, I was playing, I, I just played videos of, of quicksand fetishes. And we were, Will and I were trying to figure out so how exactly if you have a quicksand fetish, because it's not like a foot fetish, right? Like a foot fetish, if you have a foot fetish, you're pretty well integrated into a world that you can get off as much as you want with that, right? Because people are constantly walking, right? Be a shoe salesman or a shoe repairman. or But it's not like you, if you live in Manhattan that there are quicksand piles all over the place. So how exactly do you communicate? How how exactly do you communicate this fetish? How, how do you, how do you sh tell other people that that's what really turns you on more than anything? So we were trying to just imagine the conversations that would unfold. You're on a first date with somebody that you've met on Tinder, and you say, okay, I, look, I know this is going to sound kind of weird, but I was watching this episode of Gilligan's Island, and, and the skipper got caught in quicksand, which I thought was so weird. And then I had this friend who said that he found it kind of sexy, which I, I thought was weird. What do you think of that, huh? I mean, hypothetically, like if you, I know you're not turned on by quicksand, but let's say that hypothetically you were and you had to choose one. Would you be more turned on by like goopy clay colored quicksand or like dirtier brown, really thick quicksand? Like which one? No, no, I get it. I know neither turn you on, but if you had to pick one. Which one would you pick? Would the fetish end up popping up in your profession if you were a professor? Let's say you were a professor that not of geography or, or any of that, like where you're studying genomes or uh, what do you call it, places on the plane, cl different climates. And no, like let's say that you're a communication professor and you're like, okay, today we're going to talk about interpersonal communication. And I would just want to start class off by showing this scene where we have two women walking in a tropical rainforest, and one of them gets stuck in quicksand. So let's let's roll the clip. This isn't cool. Mm-hmm. 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 
Mm-hmm. Now see how the friend is just watching her drown. Oh boy. Um So should the friend have done in this interpersonal communication context, should the friend have done more to help the woman drowning in quicksand? I I'm going to throw it out there for questions. Comments, insights. I told Will because Will has a wife named well, I should you know, I shouldn't use all of these names, but Will has a wife, and I was like, you know, it would be really funny if next time you were having Christian time with your wife, you know what Christian time is. That's when straight people go to their, go to one another's bathing suit areas, okay? And next time you do it, you should be like, hey, you know, I, I just want to, would it, would it be weird if I wanted to watch a video while we did this? And of course, I think most people would be like, you need to watch a video? You had to watch a video? Yeah, I know it's going to be kind of weird, but... And then I said, then you should play the quicksand fetish stuff. I Just as a joke, like, how funny would that be? No, 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 I know. I know I'm not turned on by this. I'm not. I just thought maybe we could try something new. Maybe. <laughs> but you got to have friends. The feeling. You got to have trophies and badges and ribbons. Chapter two, awards. It was recently the Academy Awards, as recently as Sunday. And I'm very upset because Carrie Mulligan did not win Best Actress. That accolade went to Frances McDormand. Yes, let's give Frances McDormand her third Academy Award for Nomadland because it's so of the now. Somebody going homeless because of their debt to the medical industrial complex in the United States. Meanwhile, they're giving her this award and Nomadland wins Best Picture and the awards are being held at Union Station in Los Angeles and they displaced all of the homeless people and the homeless encampments at Union Station. There were, um, there, there, there were things that were sent out to the homeless people that said if you don't, basically, and not so many words, if you don't get all of your shit out of here, then it's going to be destroyed. Cut, shovel your crap Shovel your crap into garbage cans and get the fuck out of here because you're going to make the stars feel uncomfortable and we don't want them to feel uncomfortable as we hand them awards for a movie called Nomadland. Where's the bathroom? Where isn't the bathroom? Jeez, wear a catheter. Go in the corner. Uh, come on, homeless people. Stop being poor. Stop being poor. By the way, I need to say that uh, listener Stephen... Uh, wrote me and told me that Paris never actually wore that shirt that said stop being poor. It was a Photoshop image that went viral. 
So I, I want to correct my mea culpa, and thanks, Stephen, for pointing that out. Stephen, by the way, is cute as a button, Fox in the City listeners, and he plays the piano, and I would like him to pity top me or pity marry me. I'm, I'm open to all of these options. Unless, of course, you're already in a relationship, and if that's the case, you know what, I, pff, I didn't even think you were that great to begin with. No, but I, I mean, a man who can play the piano is very special, very strong hands, which I really appreciate because I like the life choked out of me as I'm being talked, almost, almost as if I'm a girl in quicksand with my head about to go under the bubbles. Oh, where was I? Okay, yeah, homeless people, get out of here. We're about to give Tyler Perry the Humanitarian Award. And he is about to deliver this um, this amazing speech about how he his encounter with a homeless woman that he took into his studio and he took her to the shoe room, the shoes that he uses for all of his productions, all of the Medea movies. And he said, you can pick whichever shoes you like. That's right. Any pair of shoes you want, they are yours. Just make sure that if your encampment is in front of Union Station, that you get them the hell out of there for Oscars weekend, or else they're gonna be destroyed. You know, I cried when I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. And then I laughed really hard. I don't know what's happened to me. I used to be very into awards shows when I was a, a youth, when I was a kid. One of my earliest memories of an award show was when I was in high school, and it's when The Silence of the Lambs won, it just swept everything, Best Actor, Best Actress. In fact, Anthony Hopkins, who won Best Actor after Chadwick Boseman, over Chadwick Boseman, who was considered to be a slam dunk, won his second Academy Award, um, the first one being Silence of the Lambs. And, and I, I don't feel good about him winning either. It's like, why do we have to... Uh, Old white actors, they have, they need two awards, three awards, as many awards as they can get. Why not, why not help out somebody's career and, and somebody like a Carrie Mulligan, like I understand she's white, but I heard a reviewer who was like, she shouldn't win because this was just like everything she's ever done. I'm like, have you, what? No, Carrie Mulligan is always doing like period pieces. What she did in Promising Young Woman is such a departure at any rate. When I was younger and I watched Silence of the Lambs, I remember pretending that one day, because I wasn't cynical yet, one day I would be up there grasping that golden Oscar and I would be thanking people. And I maybe I had a little bit of Clary Starling in my voice. Where I was like, I want to thank um, the man who told me he could smell my cunt. Everybody has that story, right? When you would watch the Academy Awards and then you would take a bottle of conditioner, a bottle of Salon Selectives number three that goes perfectly with the number five shampoo and number 73 mousse and number 16 hairspray. And you would clutch it and you'd pretend it's an Oscar and you would deliver your acceptance speech to the to the bathroom mirror. And then I got into my 20s and I re- I became a little bit more disillusioned where I realized, okay, my Oscar fantasy is never going to happen because they don't cast gay people in acting roles. Not even, gay actors can't even play gay roles. They, those have to go to straight people. So I had to modify my dream. I had to modify my dream. Instead of, instead of winning an Academy Award, I wanted to win 
the prediction party at the Academy Awards parties that I would go to when my friends would have an Academy Awards party and you had to guess who was going to win each event. Oh, I was I was a hardcore researcher. I bought the Entertainment Weekly Oscar special. I would look up stuff online, be like, okay, yeah, so this is who's going to win. It's definitely going to be Jennifer Hudson for her role in Dreamgirls, where her acting was so spectacular. She's such an actor in that role. She was acting. She was acting. Her Effie was just transcendent, acting, good acting performance. Aaron Brockovich, uh, what's her name? I almost called her Jamie Lee Curtis, but I like Jamie Lee Curtis a lot more. Uh, J- Julia Roberts. Uh, oh, yeah, Aaron Brockovich, she definitely, that acting, her acting is so much better than Ellen Bernstein in Requiem for a Dream. It just is. It's just categorically better because she sh- she pushes her breast out and says, they're called boobs, Ed. They're called boobs. Give her the award, right? So I would go to these parties and everybody hated me because nobody else was doing research. I was the asshole who was like researching stuff. So I was getting everything right. And people were like, "How? what is going on? Is this like a back to the future situation where you're Biff and you got the guide for who's winning all the Academy Awards? And then one day I decided... I don't find these award shows interesting to me. They're all very masturbatory. And that way of thinking has infected how I perceive almost all awards. And my discipline, in the communication discipline, there are just endless awards that you can go out for and that you can and win. So you have the on the national level, the National Communication Association, and then you have all these regional, like the Western Communication Association. And at every single conference, there are like tons of divisions, the interpersonal communication division, the performance studies division, the gay and lesbian division. I mean, it's endless. You can constantly be going for awards if that's your thing. There's this one woman in the discipline i'm not going to say her name but she goes out for every single award and it's just exhausting to even watch and when she doesn't get an award she'll post a passive aggressive facebook post about it and then when she does get the award she posts fine like an announcement of her winning the award and rather than be grateful she says finally it's about time and shows up to an award ceremony to collect her award and then leaves So she's not there to celebrate anybody else. It's just her. It's just her. So I've tried to really pick and choose my moments where I go out for anything. Recently, I've had to adjust my thinking about awards because here's the thing. I would really like to escape from L.A. I'm just, I'm tired of living in Los Angeles. I have my dream to live on a farm and... uh, That's just my dream. I just want to out of L.A. I want to live someplace that's livable. I need space. I would like to have a couple of dogs and own some land. That, to me, at 44 going on 45, that, to me, is what sounds like a life. And it wasn't always what I thought would be a life. For such a long time, I thought, I want to live in a major city. I want to live in the gayest part of the city. And guess what? Been there, done that. I'm ready to move on. And part of me... Being able to move out of Los Angeles is securing a job elsewhere, which means I have to make myself more marketable, which means that I have to go out for awards in my discipline. It's an ooky feeling to go out for these awards when you philosophically are just opposed to the whole idea of awards and then getting people to write letters for you 
where you have to say, I'm sorry, I know there's so much labor involved in this. But the sad reality is, is that this is built into the structures of how we're even able to move from job to job, being able to be distinguished in your profession, to be recognized. And a lot of times, it's just who actually took the time to apply for the award, and that on an off year, you may not be all that accomplished, but you win the award. Oh, this is kind of a funny story about awards. So when I was dating my ex-boyfriend, Zach, who I was so in love with, I always say that every time I mention him. It's just, it's almost a part of his name now. It's no longer just Zach. It's like Zach, who once upon a time, I was so in love with him. A piece of me will always be in love with him. But he went out with his friend Griffin and they went to this bar in West Hollywood and there were porn awards that were happening. And that guy, Johnny Rapids, Zach told me that he won porn performer of the year at these, maybe it was the Grabbies or something like that. I don't, I don't remember. And, and that Johnny Rapid, who is gay for pay, by the way, he went up to collect this award and he, Zach told me he was crying when he collected the award, almost like it was an Oscar. And he was like, I have just worked so hard for this. And I, even as a kid, I thought one day I was like, really? As a kid, like when you were six or seven, you were like, my dream one day is to collect the Grabby for best gay male performance. That guy really works a lot. Every time I see him, I'm just like, ugh, eye roll. The thing about pornography is that it's very fleeting, right? You can't watch the same scene. I mean, in the 1980s, when you had to go to the porn store and buy things off of VHS, I guess you would make do with watching the same scenes over and over again. But the thing is, is that once you've seen a scene once, it's very, it's more difficult to get off to it again. There's something about, that's kind of like sex. There's just something about that's new, the newness of it all, the newness of a new body and a, a new fantasy. That That's what gets us off. So Johnny, Johnny Rapid, is that his name? Vapid? I don't know. I mean... I know he's now he has a porn site. It's called johnnyrapid.com. Very interesting branding and naming. Very creative. Oh, here's awards music. I need, you know, I like to use music to transition between the chapters. And so here's this is copyright royalty free awards music. And the nominees for best blowjob are Johnny Rapid for Pizza Parlor Gangbang. Trenton Ducati for Aspen Fuckfest. Girth Brooks for Not In Front Of My Salad. And Dean Phoenix for Kansas City Trucking Company. And the blowy goes to... Open it up. Oh my God, I'm just presenting. Why am I so nervous? The blowy goes to... Dean Phoenix <laughs> for Kansas City Trucking Company. Uh... Dean Phoenix couldn't be here tonight. He's currently in the hospital with a prolapsed anus. Accepting the award on Dean Phoenix's behalf is Big Brother star and porn star of the year in 2010, Stephen Daigle. Oh, oh, unfortunately, Stephen Daigle is currently in the bathroom right now, nursing one of the glory holes. So accepting on behalf of Stephen Daigle, accepting on behalf of Dean Phoenix is Shishi LaRue. For chapter three, we're gonna do some calls. 
We're gonna do some calls. I had some I had some pity calls. I had some people call in, so I'm very excited to play their messages. Here's one from Adam, who is a longtime listener. You took a break. True. And it was a long break, and then True. you came back. And then now this break was like pretty short mm-hmm. uh, by comparison, if you include all the um, God Save the Queen, God Save the Queen, and Eat This Hot Show shit. Um, <laughs> the break actually wasn't that long. So I'm saying congratulations for getting back on the podcast. I like Eat This Hot Show uh, shit. <laughs> and, um,. I must confess that I did not listen to Deborah Wilkerson at all. Oh, you should. She's funny. The entire time, like, the history of podcasting. Her show's good. Um, and I heard, you know, her format, which... Although I don't think she's podcasting anymore. I get the friendship between you guys. Like, seriously, her latest, her, you know, the, the, the last podcast about the tesla i mean that was just ridiculous but what podcast about a tesla i don't know i don't know was it did was it my show or her show did she say something about a tesla i I don't know i haven't i haven't spoken to deborah since the eat this hot show drama it's collateral damage it's really unfortunate though because what what happened and this is just my reading of the situation and perhaps i'm going to dirty laundry with it again but that's just my way it's it's just her way papa just let her be just let her be papa what happened is that madge and i had our falling out and debris Debbie. Debbie was a part of that text message exchange because it was a text message group that we created for Eat This Hot Show. And she really wasn't a, a part of the debate that we were having that, that much. You could tell. Uh, it, Debbie is the type of person that conflict makes her feel very uncomfortable. So from her perspective, this is just my read of the situation. And I'm open to being completely wrong about it. But it was almost like two of her parents fighting, you know, that image of like a kid and your parents are fighting and you put your head under the blanket and under the pillow and you're just like, please make them stop. Please make them stop. I don't want to hear this. I don't want to be involved. I just don't want to be here. I just want to wish my, I want to be like the woman in quicksand who goes under the quicksand and has the orgasm bubble. Just get me out of here. The next day I reached out to Deborah and text message and said, Hey, Uh, it would be good if the two of us had a conversation just to clear the air because I don't want anything to go left with our friendship because I'm, Debbie is not really a 68-year-old woman. I hate to break the news to you. And Debbie's just like a younger queen. And so I saw the writing on the wall, like if we didn't have a conversation where we cleared the air, that this could potentially uh, be a game changer in our friendship. And I didn't want that to happen because over the... Over the course of the pandemic, Debbie and I have be- had become very, very close, like talking every single day. And I grew to really love Deborah. So I, re- I, I reached out and said, hey, let's have a conversation. And Deborah's response is, I don't want to get in between this. I don't want to be stuck in the middle of this. Which, in a way, I get the inclination to say that. But that's not really, that wasn't my MO, right? <laughs> like I was like, it's not, so I responded. I was like, it's not. I have no intention of getting you in the middle of anything, but 
I'm quitting the show and it, it would be a good idea if the two of us just, if we had a conversation because just for obvious reasons, like it's a big decision. It's a, it's a big deal for me to decide to quit the show and decide that I can no longer work with Madge and you're a part of this show. So we should have a conversation. And I never heard back from her. She never texted me back after that. And I tried to make like little in my own way, you know, reach out to her my own way. Like whenever, I mean, this is just kind of corny, but whenever I would be twitching, if I had people watching my Twitch thing, there's a thing that you do called a raid where you send all of your viewers when you're wrapping up your Twitch stream over to somebody else. So I did that to her a couple of times and, you know, just kind of like a small gesture, like, Hey, I'm still here. I still care about you. And I just, um, I never heard from her again and that's all she wrote. And it's unfortunate, but, uh, sometimes it's collateral damage. Right. And I tried to get ahead of it. I, I, I anticipated that that might happen, and um, and it did. I still think Debbie is a good person and a very talented podcaster and performer, and she has a number of really wonderful qualities, but I don't think that she is at an age. Maybe age has nothing to do with it because maybe sometimes no, people never learn this lesson, but... Um, some people think that when there's conflict that the only way to deal with it is by compartmentalizing it or ignoring it or being like, I don't want to be a part of it, even though we, a lot of times we don't have a choice if we're going to be a part of it or not. You know, drama just comes to our doorstep as that's what happened in her case, right? And um, you have to make sure that your friends who maybe feel hurt, even though you may not be the cause of their hurt, are, are taken care of and that they're okay and that everything is good and, and, and there's a way that you can, like, I remember when Zach and I broke up, he had like his friends, my friends too, that I, I met through him were like, look, you know, I like you, but he gets me in the divorce. And I'm like, well, this just seems like such a um, not evolved way of dealing with things like conflict is a part of life not everybody's going to agree all of the time but you have to have the mechanisms in place as a fully baked adult to navigate that if you don't have a particular issue with somebody oh that caller also he's like me he's very verbose he left a, a long message, so I'm not going to play the whole thing for you, but he, he at the end of this message, he wondered why I don't like small talk. What about it turns me off? I don't know. I just, there's something about the, it, to me, it's kind of empty, like an, an empty sentiment thing. Like when somebody asks, how's your day, but they really don't care how your day. It's kind of like the performative, like, okay, this is what I'm a human being in this encounter, and this is how I'm supposed to talk to you. It's the it's one of the reasons why I don't date, because I feel very uncomfortable on a first or second date with somebody where you're not really that comfortable in your own skin. And you know, when I was talking about earlier about that puppeteer on your head and you're, you're constantly like uh, surveying all of your thoughts and is this appropriate? There's a lot of that that's going on. And I try to minimize that as much as possible. It's the same mentality as why I don't have many friends on Facebook. Why I have, I think like 130 friends on Facebook and I keep it to that. Because if you have a thousand, 2000 friends on Facebook, then you can't really go deep. Everything is just kind of like, 
here's a picture of me smiling or winning an award or, you know, whatever. And I like to get TMI. I like to be, I, I, I like to push through the bullshit and be like, here's the major stuff that's happening in my life. I'm sure you get that sense in my podcast as well. Here is another message. I'm so excited. I have three different ones. Three. I'm like one of those couples who can't get pregnant. They're, they've done IVF. They've done it all. They've handstands. Okay, I'm going to get in this position where I'm on my shoulders and I'm doing a headstand. And then I want you to enter me that way because... Dr. Cho says that's the way that we're going to get pregnant. Nothing works. And then what do you know when you're not even trying two years later, boom, you have triplets, right? I have three messages. So here's message number two. Hi, Reagan. <gasps> I love the show. A lady. format and new. Oh, a lady I've been caller. listening to you since the very beginning. Oh. And through your thought-provoking monologue and your hilarious sense of humor, my oh. life has truly been enriched. Oh. So for that, I wanted to thank you. Thank you. Um, I do have a question that kind of ties in with your discussion about limiting beliefs. Mm-hmm. What's a pet peeve that you wish you could get rid of because it hampers your enjoyment of life? I think I might know one or two things that you'll say, but I would love to hear your answer. (laughs) I love you, Reagan. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so curious to know what you think (laughs) the answer is. But first, I'm going to give you kind of the superficial one, but it is part of my OCD. It's just, I have a weird thing about moles. I do. And so I had... a bunch of moles on my face when I was younger and I just hated them. I felt like every time I walked into a room, all people could see were my moles. I eventually went to a cosmetic surgeon and had them removed. My mom graciously paid for that. And so when I see a mole on somebody, especially on their face or a really unfortunately placed mole, like right between their eyes or, you know, one that hugs the border of their lip and their upper lip, you know, like, or their chin, or I, I just, I fixate on, I'm like the Austin Powers scene where he's looking at Fred Savage and all he can see is the big mole or the man hands episode of, of um, Seinfeld where Jerry's dating the woman with the big hands and all he can do is pay attention to her hands. He can't see any other part of her other than her hands. And I hate that because there are times where I'll be looking, I'll, I'll be looking at somebody maybe like on a dating app. Not that I'm on them that often these days, but if they have a mole, I'm like, nope, uh, you know, no, no, no. And think, I mean, who knows? Maybe the person who is perfect for me has a big hairy mole on their face that I would be able to get over if I could just get over it. If it weren't such a, you know, pet peeve of mine. But this is the mole thing. Everything is always a metaphor for something bigger and more complicated. Remember when I was talking about how my hair was, it's not just hair, it's me leaning into myself and what makes me happy and and trying to let go of that limiting belief that uh, somebody will only find me sexy or interesting if I have short hair. And so the mole thing, here's the deeper meaning of it, that I tend to find things annoying or pet peeves in other people that I have at one time been guilty of or (laughs) that it's like my mole made me guilty but or or traits that maybe I still have and I'm trying to work through and evolve and get better with but uh, like for instance I really hate attention-seeking behavior in other people it drives me 
it drives me crazy and in all forms if i'm if i'm driving down santa monica boulevard and i hear somebody in a really loud car where they've done aftermarket stuff in order to make it as loud as it can possibly be and then they're blaring music i just i get so annoyed by that because to me it's such, like that can't sound good to you. It, I know it doesn't sound good to you. It's all about getting attention. When I see the people who are anti-maskers, who, who don't believe in the science, I think there's no way that you're that big of an idiot. This is more about you going into attention. I mean, they go into Trader Joe's with bullhorns, screaming at people, telling them that they're ignorant and that they're sheep. And I think, oh, well, that's attention-seeking behavior. But the bigger philosophical point that I want to make about this, the bigger psychological point that I want to make about this is that we have a tendency as human beings to despise in other people what we sometimes see in ourselves. So it's not a mistake that I have engaged in a lot of attention-seeking behavior from the podcast would be one example of that, going on to a reality show, some of the decisions that I make to talk about, like in this episode, pooping on a guy, but a Thanksgiving, a Thanksgiving pooping. When I was younger, I would say things to my mom, even in the early days of Fox in the City, I would, I would call up my mom and I would try to say shocking things to her because it's all about getting attention, right? And now that I'm starting to evolve past that, I still like attention, but I, I, I care more about getting attention the right way. As far as I'm concerned, pet peeves are, are really rooted in different forms of of denial and self-hatred and, and because otherwise you would have compassion for those things. But we need to find a way to mediate our self-hatred so we project it on to somebody else. They become the scapegoat for it. So I give somebody a dirty look for they've triggered a pet peeve of mine. And really what I'm saying is, I'm sorry I'm giving you the dirty look. You're just collateral damage in my own game of self-hatred. That's really what it is. Okay, we have one more call that I'm going to take. By the way, I want to remind you that you too can call and leave a message, leave a comment, leave a question. As you can see, it's I, 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 I love this banter that I'm having. To, in order to leave a message, you call 323-207-0996. That's 323-207-0996. And, and shoot your love on me. Hey, Reagan, Adam Minneapolis. A uh, long-time fan. Just wanted to ask a quick question. I was sorry to hear about your falling out with Madge. Ah, thanks. Um, but I really liked the work that you did with both her and Deborah on uh, Pot Save the Queen. So I was just wondering if this is going to preclude you from doing uh, future collaborations with Deborah as well. Thanks, and uh, keep up the great work. Oh, thank you. I, re I really appreciate that sentiment. And I know it bums. Uh, let me begin by saying I know that the falling out bums a lot of people out, including both of us. Uh, it's it's not an easy um, thing to have a friendship last so long and then to see it putter out the way that it did. It, it sucks. I think it sucks for everybody who cares about her individually or me individually or us collectively. Thank you for communicating care about that. I really appreciate it. So um, again, I guess I'll just go a little bit deeper into the situation so you understand that why a future collaboration is not likely, although you should never say never. And one of the things that I said in the last podcast in episode 41 is that I want to do away with the limiting belief that 
okay, I'm never going to be friends with this person again, or I'll never collaborate with this person again, because that's just kind of this bullshit um, uh, limitation that you, you put on yourself, that I'm putting on myself, and I don't want to operate from that position anymore. There's a part of me that hates myself for sharing this, and I, I feel like, oh gosh, I'm going to regret this, I'm going to regret saying it, but uh, it's where I'm at right now, and I do, it's part of my process to talk about things. So thanks, callers. <laughs> thanks, callers, for asking me about the drama. It's like bloodletting. Thank you for making me bloodlet. Apparently, it's a heavy flow day. At the end of the day, though, there, there's more that Madge and I have in common and more that bonds us than what currently, at this moment in time, divides us. So... I am hurt, but I'm trying to keep my eye on that to to um, temper that hurt and and that frustration. And uh, but but sometimes, to be honest, it feels like I'm just a little girl out in the wilderness without a map. And I don't know. I'm like just like any of us. I, I'm sure that um, you know we all feel this way. I know we all feel this way. Like, what's the right way for me to navigate this situation? Help me, help me read this map. I personally believe that U.S. Americans are unable to do so because uh, some people out there in our nation don't have maps. And uh, I believe that our ed education, like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq, everywhere like such as, and I believe that they should uh, our education over here in the U.S. should help the U.S. or should help South Africa and should help the Iraq and the Asian countries so we will be able to build up our future for our children.